Welcome back, welcome back to King of the Shill. Did you like that? I did, I loved it. Uh, did when, you? You, when are you releasing the EP? I'm releasing the EP not soon enough. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, I'm still working with on bated it. breath. I'm sure you do, as I'm sure all of our uh, blessed listeners do as well. But yes, uh, as I sang at the top, welcome back to King of the Shill. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. And uh, yeah, if this is your first time joining us, or if you've somehow forgotten, uh, this is King of the Shill. A conversational podcast where Scott and I try to shill each other on things that we love. Isn't that right? Yes, it is. Things that we love and things that we want to get out there and uh, get a little bit more exposure. And as you also perfectly said in our very first show on Star Trek The Next Generation, we just really need something to talk about these things with. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of the need thing somebody of, else to talk about these things. Yeah, with you. if, yeah, I, if you I don't it. get to talk about Dragon Quest with someone at some point, I'm going to scream. So that's going <laughs> to be that, you. Yeah, it's going to be me. And that's actually exactly how I felt about what we're talking about today, which is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The today marvelous is Mrs. Maisel. Tell me about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Well, yeah. So this is part two of the, our conversation about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And in part one, um, we kind of talked about um, some of the things that Scott could expect and, and one could expect when viewing this show. But ultimately um, I had prepared what we like to refer to as a vertical slice for Scott um, uh, about this show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, um, it, you know, what we did was we talked about it a little bit and then we went and we watched it together. And now here we are and we're going to do like a postmortem on it. So, yeah, Chris, uh, so, yeah. Chris created basically a look in to what I could expect from the show as a whole, like kind of episodes dotted around here and there. He, he was telling me a story within the story. And we're back here That's to talk right. about it. That's right. So, uh, yeah. So I'm really excited because I have very strong feelings about this show. Um, I I got in. We sort of covered this a little bit on the first episode, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But I only recently got into the show and it it just completely enraptured me. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what you what you thought about it. We talked, you know, briefly, we had some, you know, some light commentary while we were watching it together as one does in in the the space of a watch party kind of atmosphere. But uh, we didn't really do too much of a deep dive on it. And that's what we're going to do here today. So, yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to get started, too. But before we jump in some quick business, where can they that's find right. us on socials, Chris? Ah, yes. Well, if you would like to take a look at the shills of the past, the shills of your, as it were, and uh, any other uh, episodes that we have released uh, in between our bread and butter shills, uh, you can find us at themanyfolds.com as well as at themanyfolds on all socials. That's right. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are all streamlined to be just the many folds. Uh, it's kind of nice because the name is so bad that nobody had it before yeah. we did. So uh, shitty little in joke. Yeah. It was not popular enough. Yeah. Good we're for blessed. Us. 
Yeah, that's right. We're blessed that nobody understands our humor. Yes. Uh, except except us. But but humor that people do understand and the masses do clamor for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes. I have many thoughts about this too. Okay. So before we get into this, yeah. I'm super excited. Um I I don't wanna I don't wanna like do too much of a reveal yet, but let me just ask you right off the top. What are your general thoughts of this show in terms of like what you expected versus what you got? Well, there's no way to say this. That's like very politically correct. So okay. <laughs> um, when I when I knew I knew vaguely coming in because like I, I this had always been in my backlog of something that I think I should watch. Right. Yeah. It seemed up my alley. Never really had the time, but what I thought I knew was that it was about a Jewish housewife or something of to that effect trying yeah. to make it as a comedian. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So in my brain, like the humor, I kind of went to like things like Seinfeld and Curb. Right. OK. Like, OK. Again, okay. Like, I don't know that that's politically correct. But well, I got, I, I, it makes sense from the perspective of like, you know, you think modern Jewish humor, you think yeah. Larry David. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, so you just do. That's where my brain went. So I <sighs> miss Maisel met my expectations in every good way and defied them in a lot of other ways that are neither bad nor good. So I'd say my overall impressions was that the story was about where I put it and I had a pretty high expectation for that. But the characters and the moment to moment humor were very different than what I expected. But I still had a really positive view of them and in a way i'm kind of glad they didn't meet my expectations because yeah not that they aren't cliches or tropes or whatever but i if if they had kind of just panned out the way i had expected it would have been a little disappointing so okay my overall impressions were really good 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 i'm glad um i kind of had a feeling that it would be pretty pretty positive just strictly because um you know when i was going through it the first time uh, you know, like I said, and I will I will remind you and myself and our listeners a thousand more times before this episode is over. The show is in no way, shape or form perfect. But um, there have been a lot of television programs and, and film and uh, a lot of things that I've consumed this year that have really sort of begged me to ask questions of it. And every time I have asked the question of this television show since I started watching it, it has answered it very satis- in a satisfying way. So um, I I had a really good first watch of it. And, you know, that's primarily why I wanted to bring it to to the show, to the to the show. Arena, yeah, let's if let's you talk will. about that real quick. Why did you want to shill it? I mean, obviously, like you just said, you had a good first watch, but like what what captured you in a way where it was not only man, I really like this thing or man, I really want to talk about this with me. Right. With Scott. Yeah. So I think I think that there are a lot of um, there are a lot of working parts to obviously to what makes somebody enjoy something or like something or right. even, you know, get into it to the effect of like, oh, I like this so much that I'm going to gush about it or gush over it, what have you. Um, you know, I think that we're both very big fans of period pieces. Mm-hmm. And this isn't so much like a historically accurate period piece like that's 
it's not like like Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it, or or you could, you could say it like I pop for setting, right? Yeah, right. That's a good way to put it. I I really pop for this setting. Um, you know, you've seen you've seen our house. My yeah. wife and I are very into mid century modern, yeah. <laughs> like you know, motif and uh-huh. you know shit like that. So. You know, it the the set design really hits me. Uh, the costume design really hits me. Um, uh, just really, it has it has a style to it that I really took to um, because you could tell that the it, at least it it came across to me that the people that were involved also really like this shit, mm-hmm. right? And they were, and it was kind of it was more to them than just a we're gonna make a comedy set in the fifties, yeah. right? They were like, this is important to the story that we're telling yeah right mm-hmm. and you could tell you could tell well, that so that yeah. was that was the main thing for me it's a major component of every part of it like yeah um there, there are several episodes that the entire crux of what is happening not just not just small moment-to-moment jokes and things like that the entire crux of the major plot point has to do with the fact that it is the 1950s and things are a little different so, yeah, right, right. Exactly. And and I think I mentioned this on on our on the, the first uh, part one on part one of this. Um, but it it exists in its time period. Yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. it is it is so authentic in some ways that uh, it really it almost feels like it's supposed to be a period piece. Right. right. Like there are moments and, you know, I mentioned in 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 uh the previous episode that Lenny Bruce is a, like a, a, a recurring side character in this show. And during our watch party, I pointed him out. I mean, he's in from episode one. Yeah. Lenny Bruce is there. Right. Yep. And there are some moments across the first season and in some of the moments in the episodes that we watched where they show Lenny Bruce performing and um, the club setting that they're in, um, you know, the way his performance is just in so good, so unbelievably like authentic to like what Lenny Bruce sounded like. Right. Because I, I didn't really know much, much Lenny Bruce before I started watching the show, but I was like, you know, I knew that he was a real non-fictional character. Yeah. So I went and looked him up and I was like, this guy's performance is incredible. Right. He's very good in it. So like, you know, they're, they're, his performance coupled with the setting and it's it's just really dripping with that authentic sort of atmosphere that those moments f- almost feel like they are period pieces and i think that really makes um the comedic moments yeah. shine that much more well, right because you're so invested in this authentic setting uh, a small spoiler for the end of the show i guess but there's yeah. a moment where um she takes out like you can see the dedication to the setting, too, where she's in the middle of an act and she pulls out this Kotex pad case. And you can tell it's an authentic case because it looks like it's been beat to shit over the yeah. 60 <laughs> or the 70 now years that it has existed in our world. Right. Yeah. Like it's an authentic thing from that time. So, right. You, you can tell they really give a shit, which is always nice. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I probably didn't I probably did, you know, uh, the show a little bit of a disservice by not going to do in my due diligence to look up who's responsible for this. But, you know, there are people that are in very well, responsible for this and they deserve a lot of fucking yeah. praise. Well, in case it's not obvious, we're not 
experts nor are we particularly intelligent so yeah. <laughs> I, I i don't think it's i don't think it's it would be on brand for us to come out oh the, the set design was done by oh, so and yeah. so you know what i mean i thought i thought about doing that and i was like man it would sound real fucking professional if i was like yeah and the set design about so on and so forth but like I wouldn't know what like somebody was yeah. talking about, but I mean, it's good enough to say because I agree. Like whoever was in charge, right? Just like I don't know the writers of half of the movies that I really like. It's not the sure. director, and I mean, just like yeah, the writing is really good in this movie. But either way, I agree, right? Like, yeah, the people that are responsible for that, you know, that to the setting, uh, you yeah. know, just making that and 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 uh, showing it really did do such a spectacular job um and we'll talk more about that when when we get into the episodes but but i'm glad to hear that 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 you really enjoyed it and that was really the main reason that i decided to bring it to you because as i started to watch it i was like oh man this is just so it's like a real feast for your senses you know like it's visually striking and beautiful and the the sound design is excellent the soundtrack is great um you know and uh and it just it just really pops with a lot of life you yeah. know and uh and then the story that they tell underneath of it is also really really good so and i think now is probably a good time to start talking about the story yeah so i was gonna say could you take us through the vertical slice what did you show me so yeah i um i thought that it was a really good way of presenting the show to you to present Joel um, to you as a character mm-hmm. and a couple key episodes that I thought were really important to his uh, character arc. And I mentioned this before, um, but I think that with these types of uh, the, with these characters specifically and the way that these characters are written and, um, you know, this show in general is just so good and so tight from a narrative perspective that I think that it's easy to jump around a lot and show you some of these episodes, even if they're further into the future of the television show and the story, because contextually it's interesting to go back and see how some of those individual story beats happen, um, such as, you know, um, the epilogue of this arc uh, for Joel that I call that, that I, you know, called it is an episode from season three where joel has another interest in his life another romantic interest so it's kind of if you look at it under a microscope from saying like yeah in episode one the show's story kind of kicks off with them getting divorced but then we went and skipped you know splitting up rather and then we went and skipped forward and we saw that he's got this other love interest so it's like "Mm," you know but the story itself you know their relationship, Joel and Miriam's relationship is such a central component to the narrative that you never really get away from their relationship. So, you know, I I thought that it was a really good indication of how good this show is from that, uh, from that that narrative perspective to sort of show you a, a, a sort of selected chunk of these. So, um, so, yeah, so we went over a couple different episodes, uh, the first of which being the pilot, yep. which was season one, episode one. Then I showed you a little bit of a sequence from season one, episode four, from an episode called The Disappointment of the uh, Dion Quintuplets. And then we went on to season one, episode eight, which was the season one finale entitled Thank You and Good Night. 
From there, we went to season two, episode four called We're Going to the Catskills. And then from there, the epilogue that I just mentioned was season three, episode four, an episode called Hands. So what did you think of the uh, of the selection of episodes? Uh, I thought it was a really good vertical slice. Um, okay. the the character of Joel was sold to me. So this is uh, Joel Maisel. This is Midge Maisel, our titular marvelous Mrs. Maisel's estranged ex-husband. I guess estranged isn't even really the word. I'm so used uh, to putting that together. I'm I'm yeah. used to putting those words together and that doesn't even really apply, which is a no. a credit to this show, but her ex-husband, yeah. her very much yeah. not estranged ex-husband, estranged ex-husband and yes. um we we kind of went on an arc with him and it was sold to me in episode 1 and even uh in some of our conversations in our daily lives of this is going to be a redemption arc is not the word but like I was basically promised you'll find things to like about Joel at the end. Let me tell you after the pilot. I mean, we were talking <laughs> while we were watching. I was like, I, I fucking hate this dude. Uh, I'd yeah. be okay if this dude caught a bullet or two. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I was even saying like, um, uh, like I was like, I, I was uh, the guy yelling in the theater like, no, Mitch, no, Mitch, you're a 10. Don't get back <laughs> yeah. with this guy. What are you doing? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, and, Mi- and Midge is a 10. Midge is a 10. Uh, Midge is a lot, as as we were as saying. As Joel would but, say. Yes, but, Midge uh, is a lot. Midge is a lot. But um, yeah, you're he, a lot, Midge. <laughs> he really does go on a journey across these three seasons. And it's really interesting to see not only where he goes just as an individual, but where everyone else in his life goes relative to his personal character development yeah he's not really the main character obviously you know the the protagonist of the television show is miriam mazel and i would argue that you know i would argue that joel is is probably his individual arc is interesting and there's a lot there to it you know which is why it was very um you know on display in the episodes that i that i presented to you but um, his his arc is sort of an undertext to a lot of everything else that happens in the show. Right. Yeah. Kind of like, as you said, like he goes on this journey, which, you know, the characters around him sort of, you know, go on that journey also, but in a sort of unique, unique way that's sort of tangential to what he's he's doing yeah, in any given he, moment. he is simultaneously character and object character and force. His yeah. his his presence and absence is a a thing. It is a it is a concept within this 1950s setting. The presence or absence of the hundred uh, of the not the hundred of the husband. All the gossip and the Catskills, right? Yeah, like, right. Oh, your husband's not here. His there's a sucking void where your husband used to be, right? Right. Um, but he but at the same time, to the show's credit, he is himself a character and. The way that he pre- presents himself is not the word. The way the way that he is written, the way that he comes across on a screen, kind of defies just being an object, right? He doesn't fit into the pigeonhole, the cliche of, like I said, I was so used to saying it, the estranged ex-husband, right? <laughs> yeah, he's right. ever present, which is it's really interesting. Yeah, and they um they do they do sort of set it up in the beginning. 
to give you the impression that this is going to be one of those stories. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think with that, it's probably a good idea to start start going through, yeah, through our, the episodes. Yeah. yeah, our episodes here. So let's start with the pilot. So season one, episode one, the pilot, aptly titled pilot, as as you would expect. Um, so we kind of get this picture of the perfect family, as we talked about. And he, you know, has this uh, sort of episode where. Um, everything goes wrong one night at his open mic night and, um, he, it, it ends with him leaving Midge and, uh, ev- so events sort of transpire after that. So, um, what was your impression of Joel in this episode leading up to the moment when he left Miriam? Oh, well, I had foreknowledge, so it's a little bit skewed by that, but the sure. the first half of the episode, the the picturesque right the first the show is two halves the pilot is two halves it's the perfect marriage vision and the reality of the situation the uh half right so right in the perfect half I, i i didn't think he was all that bad i thought it was a little bizarre the like i could i could tell even there Again, I, I had the foreknowledge that he was going to be a dick, so it was a sure. little, little skewed. But I, I thought he was being a little too like satisfied because we see in the in these little inner uh, um, these little break moments, right? Like Midge is she's doing the brisket, but also she gets out of bed in the middle of the night to do her facial thing so that she can stay pretty for her husband, but she doesn't want him to know. And she also doesn't want to wake him up. And then she wakes up before him to put on all of her makeup. So she's extra pretty by the time he wakes up, then pretends that she didn't really wake up because he's the responsible one. So he's going to get up and wake her up. Right. Like, yeah, it like Midge is a lot. Right. But his kind of flippant attitude towards it, I think was, pretty obvious even in the first half yeah and then to see the the contrast of the second you you explained this episode in a really good way because i was i was very prepared for what happened and uh um i've only seen that episode one time but i got to like kind of really concentrate on that first time through of like okay what's happening here and by the time the second time came around it's like oh okay like Mm -hmm. now it's damn it where's the brisket or whatever right and yeah the, these types of things. And by the end of the pilot, e- even before the divorce, I was already not or a fan of Joel. Like them splitting up. At yeah. Least. Well, yeah. The splitting up. Yeah. Right. I, I was not a fan of Joel at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there is a lot to chew on in this episode. And obviously the goal is to set the viewer up for the story, right? And the story is a story about, Midge Maisel, whose husband leaves her and she goes on this this life altering journey. Right. That is the story. And that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Joel leaving Midge that night is the crux. There is or the catalyst. Rather, there is that the story, the way that it is presented does not happen unless Joel leaves Midge. Right. So that is that is obviously the way that they frame this episode is to highlight that. But I think what is so interesting about this, and you uh, brought this up and I'll bring it up again, is there's so much to chew on from a nuance perspective when it comes to them showing these things like Midge getting up, 
like before after Joel falls asleep so that she can put her face on and then like pretend like this is just how she wakes up. Right. And it's him that has to because he's the responsible one. Right. There's so much to take away from that. That is not only, I think, serves to check you and check the story for the time period. Like I said, the show really exists in its time period, but it checks it checks you and reminds you like this is where you're at. Right. But the other thing, too, is it then goes to further contextualize a lot of the way that Joe behaves later in that episode. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm really glad that you got a lot of that out of this because. There's not much to this episode from like a Joel perspective outside of that. Right. And setting it up and showing you like this is the thing that happens that leads to the events of the show. Yeah. But it's also the thing like after the viewing party, I kind of stewed on it a little bit. And my immediate thought was like, well, it sure is convenient that we get to see all this stuff about Midge that makes us like really identify with her and want her to you like, go get a Midge, that kind of thing. And like they, it really yeah. paints him in a bad light. And I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, well, duh, that's like part of being in a relationship. Your wife didn't spring forth from the ether fully makeup. You know what I mean? Right. Briskets don't cook themselves. It is entirely his fault that he cannot see how obviously incredible even he gets it right like he even says like again we'll say it midge you're a lot right yeah but Mm -hmm. he i don't think he really understands and that's kind of the it's a cliche but it's kind of the human tragedy of like you don't know what you got till it's gone but like come on dude like yeah she she has measured herself every day for 18 years or whatever to keep the perfect figure you know what i mean like you Mm -hmm. you gotta have some poor eyesight to not see what's happening here and i like that too well and and this is this is a lot of what what i was saying in part one about you know joel's imposterism right is like you know as somebody that has struggled with it before and as somebody that you know also is lucky enough to have a, a life partner and a spouse that uh is that type of supportive of me right like it is so difficult sometimes to really understand like like you said you don't know what you got till it's gone to really sort of appreciate the things that you have because you sort of don't feel like you deserve them and so an extension of that is they don't feel real right so it's easier to take them for granted right and i think too this is another moment where it's like you know this is the 50s right so he goes to his job and he's the breadwinner and he makes the money so of course right he's just going to be able to expect midge to cook the brisket you know yeah. what I mean? And, and do all these different things. It becomes a non a non thought for him. Right. But it's also the thing, because I think this is such the great contrast with Penny Pan, whose name Penny Pan. Right. But all we see of her is that she literally like Midge points out, she literally has trouble sharpening pencils. That's right. Right. And that she's kind of the ditz. She's just the ditzy secretary. And that yeah. that itself speaks to like Midge is substantive. It's not a fair comparison because it's like obviously the main character is going to get more development than the bit side character. Right. But yeah. It's like right. Midge is substantive. There's so much to her. And Penny Pan is just your hot secretary. That's not the sharpest tool in the shed. It's it, yep. it immediately paints even just watching that episode for me of like. It's not 
the penny pan is what you want, you're running from Mitch. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You're running yeah. to the literal antithesis of yeah. what Midge is, right? Yeah. That is how aware he is of who she is. Yeah. Right? Right. Is he specifically ran to the girl that is not Midge in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you know, it's a trope, right? Yeah. Like, you've seen it before in storytelling, but I think that I think that when tropes like this have a payoff, yeah, that is as like that well, is is the magnitude of this. I think yeah. it goes to sort of reinforce the quality of it. But the tropes tropes are most egregious when they're not like. How do I say this? There are tropes in storytelling that are tropes because they provide such solid structure for stories, right? And they're so real, like yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing about like when people say, oh, this is kind of just a stupid trope is when they're not given a proper fleshing out. They don't make sense for the story that's being told. The character acts in a way that doesn't like fit how they've been written to that point. Right. Even if it's a trope of the guy running from his problems, going to the arms of the hot secretary, it makes sense for the show. And you know exactly why he's doing it. Right. Like, I am so tired of feeling like I don't deserve you. So in a self-destructive way, I'm just going to end it myself. I'm going to dump you before you can dump me, even though that never entered her brain. Right. He's so far gone that that's what he's doing. So, yeah, it fits. And I love I love, too, how much they communicate that without outright saying it in this episode, because that becomes that becomes the narrative of season one is you know that she is a lot and he is like he can't help himself but to put her on this pedestal right that he just constantly you can tell that he constantly feels like he's in her shadow even though he's the one that's supposed to be like the husband the breadwinner you know he's got the comedy hobby whatever and you know there's a point in this show and we'll get to this eventually where he flat out eventually comes and admits to her you're a lot, Midge. You're a yeah. lot, Midge. You know, yeah. but there's no doubt that that is the case when you're watching episode one, when you're watching that scene of him packing her suitcase to leave her, when he's just, he's sort of in this mode where he's just rolling, right? He's snowballing where it's like, you know, uh, I bombed, right? You told me to talk about, and, and, and I bombed because you killed the joke. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Right. And like, I love that they that they don't shy away from that. This is the story that we are telling, you know? Yeah, I love it. Well, I I think the last thing that might serve as a transition into the next episode and a segment is you described Joel as uh, her muse, as Midge's muse. And I didn't understand what you mean, really, what you meant rather, really, until we got the whole way through this and. Joel is definitely her muse. That's, that's a right. pretty that's a pretty apt description. Uh, yep. You, you that, even see the beginnings of that in the the end of the first episode. So yeah. So what did you think about what happens after he leaves? I mean, obviously, you know, we're we are focusing on Joel here, but yeah. this is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So what did you think about that? <laughs> uh, I gotta say, I did think it's a little contrived that she just happens to run down to the comedy factory yeah. and just kill. Yeah. But, the, the show does like 
it gets you there. Like, I don't blame it for getting to the point you don't want. Um, So small spoiler. Uh, I'm going to show you Initial D at some point, which is an anime. It's a drifting anime. Uh The first race doesn't take place until the third episode. Right. Oh, okay. At a certain point, you're like, come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know what this fucking show yeah, is. Drive a car. So, yeah. <laughs> all, bringing that up to say, I understand why she's in the comedy club and she's yeah. killing. Right. Yeah. But right. it's a little contrived. But even then, this the show gets you there. She's meticulously taking notes about her husband's act. She's clearly passionate about the comedy because she saw herself as this duo. Like, in a 1950s sense where obviously the husband takes the lead, but like the woman behind the man, she saw herself in that way. Right. So she was right. passionate about it. Yes. So it, it gets you there, but I, I did actually really like her set. Like it's interesting too. Cause I don't know a lot about 1950s humor because the show does actually touch upon the fallout of specifically the kind of stuff she says, but it's like, I don't know what specifically you would have gotten from ladies of that era, but it almost certainly wasn't some of the stuff she was saying. Right. So, yeah. And they actually, uh, they deepen that a little bit. It's at a certain point in the show. Um, you know, so I'm glad, I'm glad that you picked up on it, uh, up on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but when I, when I think of that time, I think of the specific phrase gave me the vapors right like the kind of old grandma talk of like i'm so shocked and appalled the pearl clutching old white lady thing of like i'm so shocked and appalled by what i'm hearing that i feel faint gave me the vapors so this this fucking conversation is giving me the vapors yeah her her standing up on stage and talking about french whores uh gossiping about the things she did in bed right i was like oh okay (laughs) like (laughs) oh I I have to ask. I forgot. I forgot. So please forgive me, listeners. How was that cringe? Oh my god! (laughs) When Joel gets up on stage and bombs, dude. Yeah. I I I was when when it was coming. I was like, all right, this is gonna be rough. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) Yeah. I so I can't handle cringe more show lore. Um, it's to the point where like I I listen to the show for the lore. Yeah, I understand why people like things like The Office, but I just I cannot. I physically cannot. I cannot do cringe. It is like near physically painful for me to watch. So I made it through it, but it made it through it in the way that I get through dentist appointments. So, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah. uh, it's rough. Uh, It is rough. But thankfully, and and this is like, you know, uh, this is how. I'm glad they frame it this way. Yeah. Uh, in the show. And they, they continue to frame it that way in the show. Anytime there's a moment like that, where somebody like goes through like an awkward, it's never like the climax of the episode. So you never feel like you're hanging on to this awkward feeling. You well, know, he, the show needs it too. Yeah. Like you I have agree. to see that he really is just talentless, right? Like yeah. he has, no, he is not cut out for this shit whatsoever right 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 and that's and that's ultimately you know he knows that deep down inside and that yeah. is ultimately why he ends up leaving midge um you know at least with an overreaction that what sparks uh, that yeah. yeah uh you know uh you know that you know 
you know, it's Yom Kippur. Nobody's happy on Yom Kippur, right? She even, she even tries to check his, you know, tries to give him a reality check. Like, of course you're unhappy. You know what I mean? And like, you know, she doesn't really beg him to leave or beg him to stay rather. She tries to almost like, she, she doesn't believe it. Right. So much that it's happening that she keeps saying these things to make sure that he's serious. Yeah. And he is. I think it's it's partly being in shock because like, I mean, um, I can't remember if it's her mother, but someone says something to the effect of like the man only really leaves when he gets the other woman pregnant or something yeah, like that. Right. Right? She's, yeah. It's just like mm-hmm. it's just like you're you're leaving. What? Like, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the logistics of this just does not compute. What do you mean, you idiot? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Right. We finally and, um, got the rabbi. Sorry, go ahead. We got the rabbi, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, you know, they, he ends up leaving. She goes to the comedy club and has her set. She gets arrested, meets Lenny Bruce in the uh, back of the car. And uh, she has an unceremonious exit. An unceremonious exit. That's right. She does end up getting bailed out. Um, Susie bails her out uh, that, that evening. Susie being Alex Borstein's character and, uh, and kind of, you know, sort of had they have this conversation and this is this was one of the this was one of the moments of the show where i was kind of like eh, i can kind of tell that you're just trying to get to the point right you want like it makes sense for Susie to bail her out of jail and you know i like the little explanation that they give you know to you know not to nitpick but to nitpick i like the little explanation that they give with Susie where she's like you know I've only been right twice in my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? About somebody. The first one was this super famous comedian that she mentions and Midge is like, Oh yeah, I know him. And then she's like the second, the second night is tonight. So again, I think it does fall into that. You know, it's, you know, it's part of the contrivance, but at the same time, I, I kind of like that a little bit because I, it, to me, it's sort of, it, it, it gave me an immediate sort of attachment to the dynamic between Susie and Midge because it 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 makes you start rooting for them both in that moment. Yeah, you know. Well, again, to like contrivances, I agree because I thought the same thing. It's like kind of like, oh, you you're the chosen one. You've pulled the sword from the stone, but at the same time, it's like if you're gonna stand on the same stage as Lenny Bruce, this isn't like a. You're, we're not going to have a rocky montage. You know what I mean? You, you got to yeah. be pretty damn good at this from the beginning. So, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So, um, you know, she has her, she has her moment and the story gets underway and, uh, we leave the pilot there to move on to season one, episode four, the disappointment of the Dion quintuplets. Um, and this one, we didn't watch the whole episode. I just wanted to really show you this, uh, this sequence, of um you know midge and joel moving into their apartment as newlyweds juxtaposed against midge having the movers take everything out of their apartment as they are splitting up and i thought this was a really good example of when the show um had like they have these little set pieces that are that everything sort of coalesces into one perfect moment and the the setting um the costuming the the soundtrack the music um the cinematography um you know the story um that they're telling with with what they're showing i think all really comes together really nicely here in a package that is just really beautiful and moving uh so what did you think of that i liked it a lot i mean obviously just to start it's great editing that was the first thing i noticed yeah. right like it's 
really good editing. It's a great set piece. Um, story implications wise, I like I like wordless storytelling. Um, there's a lot of like a lot of stuff I'll probably actually show you in the course of working on this show. One of the things that really gets me is. If you can show me something in a visual medium without telling me it. I think that's really impressive because it's really not that easy. Right. Um, right. This is the reason why I like stuff like uh, David Lynch. Like I like metaphor. I like weird, like trying to decipher the reasoning behind why you would show me something. So oh, it's what's I mean, you know, one of the early things that we bonded over was Lovecraft. And yeah, that's similarly. Exactly. Yeah. So. The the little story implications, too, of like you can tell that like there was no bullshit in the early relationship. They were deeply in love. And there was a reason that Midge loved him. Right. Yeah. Like you can see the little happy moments there and the nice the nice uh, Barbara Streisand uh, music there to go along yeah. with it, too, which is. Yeah. It, depending on how you look at it, it's either like aptly sweet or like bitterly sarcastic. Right. Sure, <laughs> like, right. Um, but uh yeah i I, th I thought it was a really nice little piece and um yeah. it's 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 one of the parts of the show that i think i don't know if it i don't know if it sticks with me the most but it's one of the most vis it's the most impressive visual storytelling that i can remember of what I've yeah seen. what and the main takeaway here is exactly as you said you know story uh wise is that you know this they communicate this leading up to this episode in the first three episodes that like you know it's you know, they were very, very deeply in love. But one of the things that I really like liked about this one was that um, the way that the camera moves, right, and the way that they have that edited yeah. all together really sort of um, evokes this feeling in me of like um, motion, right, obviously, because mm -hmm. the camera is moving, but it doesn't feel it, it doesn't feel uh, it feels like like a stride. Yeah. Right. And like, that's how that's how I always sort of internalized that moment was this was the camera is moving in a stride. And the way that it is moving is sort of showing the way that Miriam is taking this entire thing in stride, regardless of like the implications of it. You know, she is having these memories and these flashbacks and it's showing like all of these really good memories of her marriage that is now falling apart. And she's taking the whole thing in stride, you know, and it's yeah. just sort of moving along. I just I really like this one. Yeah, because it, it kind of gives like the impression I had right from the, the way the cameras uh, follow right is it's almost as if like i don't know if you've ever i mean i'm sure you have actually but when when you move out of a place for our listeners right like i i think about like i've moved several times but like just like apartment to apartment and again to my house like i don't have any strong emotions tied to them but when my parents moved out of my childhood home into the current house they're in right yeah you have that moment of like this is the last time and you yeah. go from room to room and the little ghosts of all the memories of all the things you've done there, they come back. Right. And I get yeah. that same impression there of like it's it's Midge going room to room in the present, coordinating all this bullshit, but not being able to escape the ghost of in the entryway being bridal carried in by Joel. Right. The right. Party in the dining room. Right. Like all, all these little visual things come back to her. So, yeah, I like, I like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I really love this one. And uh and it really goes to serve 
to like th- that contextual um, importance of just how uh, intertwined Midge and Joel yeah. uh, were, right? Um, and the the how deep their relationship was and 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 their connection. And um, you know, I think that it's very common in media that takes place in this time period to, as you know, you already said on this episode, default to this estranged like you know, the husband left and he, he just left them on the curb and kicked them out. And that was it. You know, you just, you hear that a lot. And I think obviously because it's, it's a very real thing, but you know, it's not, I, I never really, what, you know, I never really viewed this as, as a typical type of depiction of a mid-century nuclear family. And so to see another one of these moments where they're just um, really highlighting uh, that about the two of them, yeah. I think is really cool. Well, it's just another thing, too. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about this at a certain point, but like one of my favorite characters on Game of Thrones is Joffrey and mm. people always look at me weird when I say that, but like, no, he's a good character. I, yeah, character. I, always, I always react. Can you think of someone that was more fun to hate than yeah. that character? Right. Everybody universally despised that kid, right? Mm-hmm. That takes not only some good writing, but some good acting chops, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's making a good villain, mad villainy. Actually, a call back to our Mad Villainy episode. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. The intro to the album, they talk about villains, right? There, there's a, cutting right. in a sample from some kind of documentary about comic book villains, right? And it, you need to make someone, if you're going to make someone an asshole. So the, the, all of this is about, like you said, like with the ex, the estranged ex, kick them out on the curb. If you're going to make someone a villain, you have to make them work in the story there has to be a reason why the people shouldn't like them that also propels the story forward and the problem with a lot of media that falls into the trope as realistic as it is or isn't right just being an asshole isn't compelling there are assholes in everyday life there if you're not going to do something unique you have to have them be either such a superlative and flashy asshole right that they're unforgive unforgettable or you have to give them some kind of nuance that keeps them invested so Joel not being that is a it's it's a breath of fresh air because we have a reason to continue caring about him, even if right the from episode one, I had I wanted to have nothing to do with this guy. But yeah, exactly. Okay, but you're here and you're doing something interesting. Right. I care that you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. And this this really serves that nicely and especially moving into the finale of season one. Yeah. Thank you and good night. Episode eight, which was sort of the second full episode that um, we watched in our watch party. Uh, there's not a whole lot here um, when it comes to like the uh, overall story in terms of like where we were in episode one. Like she's Midge is still obviously, you know, working on the comedy thing and, you know, she's still like, you know, tr- trying to figure out like, you know, what to do in this moment with it. And um, but there's a lot here from a Joel and Mitch perspective, because this is where you start to see exactly the type of ex-husband and father that Joel has not only is, but has a desire to be. Right. I mean, it's it's obvious even from 
the the first moments after the first episode that it, this is going to be non-traditional yeah. right but joel really comes into himself here is like he he's showing sincerity isn't the word because it was never a question of sincerity his own right. father says following through is not my son's strong suit in yeah. another episode right right yeah like it's it's um it's more that like he, he's he's not just present at the birthday party. He's present and he's having a uh, adults, not the word. He's having a um, civil conversation with Midge. Yeah. And he's being he's deferent in deference to her. He's not like, I'll look at you. You're hungover. Right. Yeah. He right. helps her eat the mac and cheese. It's almost like right. They haven't missed a step. Right. And you can see, too, that he's like, we'll talk. We'll talk about the we were having this conversation of like, oh, no, dude. Oh, no, don't. Right. But uh -huh. in, right. in that specific moment, he seems deferential. It seems like he's made peace with it. It's like, OK, it's whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah. And he's so, like, you know, just so you know, I'm you know, I'm getting a promotion at work and I'm going to have yeah. a better job and I'm going to be able to take care of everything. Yeah. So it's it, it's obviously very different than what you might be led to believe by other media. But it, it's it's just interesting. Uh, I need to I need to think about how to describe this, but it's like, well, good. So also, you know, I, I think. You know, where we find Joel here, you know, at this birthday party, as you said, being being present, um, you know, things things kind of progress in a unique way here that you don't kind of really expect. Um, and I think it hits the same going from, you know, episode one to this one um, without seeing much of the in-betweens, just because, you know, again, it sort of subverts your expectation of like, OK, so they're civil and they're making it work and things are peaceful and they're focused on their kids. Obviously this is not going the way that I would have initially expected. And then they have sex again. <laughs> yeah. Before the sex though, because this uh -huh. leads to, this leads immediately into the, Oh no dude. Right. Uh, but, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I, I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that they're neither, they've almost reverted to, pre-relationship friendship right yeah like that's a good way to describe it yeah it's it's not like they're intimate but it's it's like only only someone you have such history with and such an intimate connection with could you be this way right yeah right and i think that too it's it's a cool moment um of seeing them in a social situation yeah when you know, again, this is the 1950s. This is the mid-century when that was so uncouth. You know, um, there is an episode uh, in the first season, um, which if you end up going back and watching, you'll probably see where um, Midge and her friend Imogene, Archie's wife, they go to this aerobics class and they make a comment about how the divorcees have their have their own uh own section right yeah so uh so this is it's kind of like that right now i'm not saying that people don't gossip and talk shit like that in 2021 but you know this yeah, but was you're something 
You're somewhat of a social outcast. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like a social outcast, really great way to describe it. Now it's kind of like it's so common. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Larry King just fucking died and they were like, oh, his 42nd wife was there to bury yeah. him. And it's just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just. Yeah. So, you know, this is something that was socially awkward, weird. You know what I mean? And like by this point, you're used to the fact that Midge is not your average housewife. Right. And she would not really let those kind of things get to her. But at the same time, you understand how important appearances are. Because yeah. everybody around her is worried about it. Yeah. And speaking of appearances, they do bang. Oh. And <laughs> I, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this, but I was not fooled from moment one. So oh? there's, there's some great little storytelling in the, in the, uh, the, the morning after, so to okay. speak. So. After the birthday party, uh, Joel and uh, Midge reconsummate their marriage. That's right. Yep. And uh, <laughs> in front uh, of the Dion quintuplets. The, yeah, the the Dion quintuplets on her childhood bed, her single, her double bed, rather, or whatever, in her room. And they wake up the next morning, and it's a great, even beyond what I'm about to talk about with the like the little subtleties of it. It's a great moment of almost again, like almost this childish reversion to like their youth, right? right. To not necessarily pre-relationship friendship, but like this is pre-marriage, right? Sure. So Midge gets up and she's like, What are you doing? You gotta get dressed, right? She's looking out for Zelda, her parents, uh, what do you call her? Like a maid. housemaid, right? Yeah. Yeah, maid. Yeah. Um so she's looking out for the housemaid and her mom and she shoes them out the window and uh, they they have this kind of funny little moment. And Joel takes it. And I don't know if the audience is supposed to take it. that This is a sign that things are looking up. Right. And Joel Joel's about to have a series of moments that made me cringe internally. But uh, the show is really good at showing you in this moment that. Midge isn't outright like angry. It's more that she's like she's she's it's not even that she's disappointed in herself. She knows that this is the precursor to things that are not in her game plan anymore. Right. It is really important that people not know that Joel stayed the night. Yes. Because it would give them ideas. Right. And she doesn't want those ideas to become a reality. Yeah. So. Anyway, they they consummate. She kicks Joel out. I could tell immediately that this was not a this was a bait and switch. This was not the beginning of the happy reconciliation of the Maisels. It's very clever, too. Right. Because, um, you know, sex is such in in that context from a storytelling perspective. Sex is such a a confirmation. Right. Mm -hmm. Like. It's a confirmation that um, like typically in this moment, like you would expect, oh, well, things like you would be you would be Joel, you know, all things are things are looking up, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, again, to your point, I think it's a really good piece of subtle storytelling to show what Midge's real concern is here. And it's not it's not telling showing her family 
her her parents who were extremely distraught yeah. over their separation for many reasons. Um, and the two people that would have absolutely positively no problem with yeah. Joel walking out of that that bedroom yeah. door, awkward as it might be. Yeah. And, and even she, so, her husband, no less. Right. Her she shoes her husband out the window into the cold, wherever the hell they live, uptown, Upper West Side. That's right. Uh, Upper West Side winter. And then I mean, appearances and to be quite honest with you, right, this is and and I don't know, like I'm I'm just sort of thinking about this right now. So maybe we'll go back and see if they make reference to this. But in episode one, Abe, played by Tony Shalhoub, Abraham uh, uh, Weissman, uh, Midge's father says to her, whatever you do, you have to get him back. You go upstairs, you clean up, you clean yourself up, you put on your makeup, put on his favorite dress, and you go and you beg him to come back, right? And so what ends up happening, right? They go, they go to the to their son's birthday party. They're hanging out afterwards. Nobody's there. She's wearing this great dress. You know, he's clearly, he even says, right? Because Abe and Rose are having, at this moment, they're having a little bit of a spat in their storyline. And Joel even says, sitting at the table, Abe and Rose are smart people. They'll realize that there's nothing more important. He says something to the effect Uh of like, you know, he makes a very ham-fisted statement to me. He's he's forcing a certain line of thought. Yeah. Yeah. He's really laying it on thick. You know, yeah. at this point, like he has truly, madly and deeply realized his uh, his mistake here. And um, they end up they end up hooking up. And, and to your point, it's a very telling moment uh, about about Midge and, and where she's at personally. Yeah. But, you know. What I really like about this sequence is this is the first time we see Joel really bear his soul about his true anxiety oh yeah they've they've showed it you know and they really showed it in the pilot and you know like you said they do a really good job of this you know visual storytelling without having to you know explain it to you you know when joel is packing her suitcase to leave her in the pilot and he's going on and on about you know um you know, her and like, it's, it's almost like no matter what she offers to him, he's got a counterpoint to it that somehow frames her as being at fault for something. And he finally admits here, you know, you're a lot Midge, you know, sometimes, you know, you meet a girl and you hope she's smart and you hope, or you hope she's pretty or you hope you parent her parent, your parents love her. And he's like, you know, if you're lucky, you get one or two of them and I got them all, you know, and I think this is a really, really good moment for his character for that well, reason. It's good, but to move us along, because I have a counterpoint here too, he still hasn't learned his lesson, though. That's right. He he hasn't accepted himself. He's just traded one facade for another. Right. So you brought this up at the party. Joel, Joel says some really ham-fisted shit, right? Like, he's he's about as subtle as a brick right yeah right and we see after the hookup too this is really emboldened this kind of denial that he's currently living in where he does truly believe that it is just a matter of time and some small effort 
Right. And that they will be back together. So he's talking to his buddy, Archie, I believe. Right. Yep. Yep. And they're kind of going over this game plan, man, (laughs) of like it's almost it's not boys club shit, but it's kind of like the married husband equivalent. Right. Of sure. I'm doing this all for Midge now, man. You know, I'm going to get this promotion and we're going to work on the comedy thing and everything's going to be great. He flat out he flat out says, I'll come when he goes, he when he goes to the gaslight and gets denied later, he's like, I'll come back because I'm gonna be the man Midge wants me to be. Yeah. And it's just like No. He's no. He's he Stop saying shit like that, Joel. Exactly. I, I mean, during our viewing, I was like, oh, no, man. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. He just. Oh. He's fallen into the kind of cliche trap of like, oh, she left me. Oh, no. Well, I left her. But, you know, yeah, what I right, mean, right, the, right, the right. trope of she left me because I was washed up. I'm going to clean up and get my act together. That's not why you're broken up, man. Well, this is you know this I mean? is actually I mean, like the fact that you and I know that was a slip. Yeah. Right. But I think that I think that in and of itself isn't is is an indication that like the subtle way that they tell the story of these individual characters in this show, he really does act like at this point it was her who left him. Yeah. Like so much of the way mm-hmm. that he behaves and the things that he says, right? He does it with in, in a in a way where he feel like it's like he's framing it to be what he thinks is happening. Yeah. Well, it's because I think that he has accepted he he has accepted and internalized his anxiety about it. He understands that he really isn't good enough for Midge. Right. So he's trying to compensate. But the problem is he doesn't understand the root of the issue. It's not that you're not good enough for Midge because you didn't work hard enough at your act or you weren't getting that work promotion. That's not the problem, right? You're painting over the problem with yep. a half-assed solution. Right. right. And, but, and it's, it's just really cool. I think to see him here sort of in the same spot that he was in in yeah. episode one, uh-huh. but in a totally different light, you yeah. know? Well, it, it's interesting. You see that too. Cause like, it, How do you describe this? Right. Midge is already on the hero's journey. She's making her way around the circle. Right. Right. Joel created another semicircle backwards. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just started coming back around to the starting point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Compared to Midge and Susie and all these other characters. So, yeah, it's interesting to see that, too. And he's he's got a moment here where it just flips for him right and it's yeah. the trigger right so like we talk about the catalyst to midge uh-huh. being joel walking out on her and now <laughs> we're going to talk about the catalyst to joel and yeah. what happens to him in this television show because he's flying high and he's going like we said he's going to the gaslight he gets the nine he's like and i I'll, that's all right if i don't get a slot tonight i'll just come back every night because I'm going to be the man Midge wants me to be. He's like, I'm going to come back the night after that and the night after that and the night after that. Right. And so what's interesting is right before he kind of has this new feeling after him and, you know, Midge hook up. Um, while they're in her room that night, he is noticing these comedy records that she has. Yeah. And he asks her where she got them. 
mm-hmm. and what they are. And she's she says that they're like these bootleg comedy records. They call them party records. And she tells the store where she got them. Right. So she obviously has these so that she can, you know, work on her material and brush up and bone up on, you know, some some things about being a comedian and a stand up. Right. And so, um, you know, at this point, she has some gigs. Right. Um, And so Joel finds this record shop at this point in this episode. And he hears a recording of the very now infamous first night that happens at the end of the pilot where Mm -hmm. Midge goes back to the gaslight drunk as a skunk and waxes poetically about the things that she did to Joel in bed that night. Right before she's arrested for the things that we know she is guilty of. Uh, This is Joel's moment, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is this is his. How can I say this? This is the moment for him where his arc really kicks off, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the moment where he understands that. I I think this is where he really understands that he's not a misunderstood hero. He's a villain. He's a footnote in someone else's story. It's not that he made a mistake and he's working to correct it and it wasn't that big of a deal. He wounded her and he's ashamed of it. He's confronted with it. Right. Because what he's really what he says he's angry about is like you're doing material about me. Right. You're talking about our married life. And. I think it's a moment of realization from him of like, well, she's only doing that because I was an asshole and I made it happen. I'm ashamed of it. You shouldn't yes. be airing our dirty laundry. Well, you're the one who made the dirty laundry, dude. You That's know what right. I mean? So. Good. And what I think is interesting here is that, um, you know, the, the difference between how episode one pans yeah. out for Midge. Mm-hmm. And how episode eight here, the finale pans out for Midge is Midge still does comedy. And uh, it's under a different it's in a different context now. Right. Yes. Um, and Midge is unaware. And Joel is also unaware that Midge is performing that night when he shows up and he sees her performing. Right. Yeah. And like, you know. He's not looking great. Because no. he's obviously been on a bender since he heard yes. her record, right? Because yes. he is—he does not know about her career at this point and the things that she's doing, right? He does not—he mm-hmm. has never heard that set, right? He didn't know the type of things that she talked about, right? Um, he just kind of thought that it was the same kind of thing that he was doing, which was I'm just right. going to show up to open mic nights and just you know riff up and make people laugh, right? But the part. The the thing about this scene that I think is so good is the moment that Susie and Joel have because Susie is really the voice of the audience here. Yeah. Susie, Joel's very raw and real and he's he's letting his anxieties loose to her and you get a real good, honest glimpse at what's underneath all of that shit for him in this moment. And Susie is just like, fuck you. Yeah, she's good. in a, yeah, in a vacuum, he's so the the premise here is that Midge is doing a set basically about Joel, right? Riffing on Joel, and unbeknownst to her, he's in the audience, and he's having a pretty realistic reaction of like, uh, you know, like the scrunching into yourself, like I'm uncomfortable with this. 
fuck you. I'm going to lash out. I wasn't that bad. All these types of emotions. And yeah. like you said, right, like I'll, I'll let you finish. But Susie basically comes up and just slaps him right back down. Like, yeah. no, fuck you. Like, well, you're the asshole here. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and and it's it's a really, really, I think the the capstone to this whole thing is right as he's like sort of getting ready to leave and, you know, in a huff and everything. A heckler stands up and says this like real misogynistic comment like, you know, oh, dude, shut up, you dumb bitch. Get back in the kitchen or something, you know, and she handles this heckler like unbelievably. Right. Like she perfectly. Right. I think I think he calls her like a dumb whore or something. And she's like, who told you? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, it doesn't even phase her. Right. Yeah, exactly. And Joel sees this. Right. And it just, you know. It just really it, it obviously just drives home the point that like no joel she does not need you she does not need you yeah and his response to that is he walks outside finds that dude and beats the living shit out of him and in my favorite moment in the in joel's story in season one is he's walking away and he's like fuck you she's good and he has this moment and she's like she's good I yeah. just love that moment for him. Yeah, it's it's the Riker mirror moment, right? It's yeah. The, now that I've said it out loud, I understand what the problem is, right? Yep, absolutely. It's, but yeah, it's the man. The, you already get to a point by the end of this season where you are seeing Joel in a different light, right? Yeah. Like at first, he's an object of scorn. Yeah, right man you're an idiot yes you had the perfect life and you just spit on it right Right. Mm -hmm. i have no pity for you and then you get to the end of that episode and you're like man you're a you're just a real stupid son of a bitch man i'm like you like it's it's exactly the emotion at that point for me of stop hitting yourself please (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah Right. i thought you dug the hole deep enough please stop digging you know what i mean like yeah and i think that it's it's something that um you know i don't want to i don't want to get up on the soapbox too long too too for too long but like i think for some for you know people like that for people like us those are those are anxieties that are very palpable for us because these are anxieties that men go through all the time yeah right like um being a being afraid of intimidating women as as you know uh uh, a straight, you know, cis male is a, a real thing. You know, like I have been in, uh, you know, I've, I've been in counseling for a few years for, you know, for my mental health. And it's one of the things that, you know, my counselor and I have touched on before is that, you know, sometimes being in a relationship with a very, um, you know, successful or, you know, smart woman, right. Just sort of, it hits this bone in you that's like inexplicable, right? It goes against your, your, uh, your natural, like your, just like the natural desire to just be supportive. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, men just have this alpha male feeling that's like ingrained in them in a lot of cases. Right. And what, yeah. And what you learn as you get older too, like men for anyone who like the guys listening, all understand this and the women listening, you might not have really known this, but when you're a kid and you're a boy, you get really rapidly like aggressive and things like that. And you get your first lesson, which is in the modern day, men aren't expected to be the ultra violent, 
breadwinner, alpha male, whatever, right? You get your in our in my case and in your case, the nineties and eighties, like kind of the new man, right? Yeah. You get right. that education. And then you grow older and you realize that all of the old biological and ancient societal expectations of men are still there. You just have to do both. Yeah. And it's really stressful for men. It's yeah. like you have to be a gentleman. Not that we don't do this, right? We, right, you yeah, and I both sure. agree this is correct. Yeah, but right, you, right, you right. have to respect women and respect their choices and all these kinds of things. But also, if you don't go up and act like an alpha male and slap the woman on the butt and tell her she's pretty, then you're a bitch. Yeah, and you're, you're a it, pussy, it, and, and you're, there's something wrong with you. Right, yeah. and and you're obviously gay. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And it's like it's all it's these it's these things that like you know we are. You know, our generation is is unfortunately like right in the middle of that, uh, like, uh, like the arc that that construct has gone on, where the sensitive man is is an acceptable form of the alpha male now. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's no longer like you know we still fight that kind of you know toxic masculinity in in a in a lot of the facets of our our culture today, but in today. Today's society it has never been more acceptable to be in touch with your feelings as a man yeah. as it is now. And it was quadruple times unacceptable back in the time period that the show takes place in. Right. So, yeah, you, you really see this um, this alpha male come out of Joel. And then when you see him sort of peel and curl back into himself and have that realization of she's good yeah you see all like the weight of all of those like expectations for the family man and the breadwinner and yeah. the guy that's supposed to be good at everything just start to crumble on him well you have this thing like i don't want to i don't want to go off too far into this tangent but yeah. <laughs> this is something that incels talk about a lot right yeah. neither chris nor i are incels no. I just this is just a topic I know a lot about because I think it's very funny. Yeah, and we're, interesting. we're Internet curmudgeons. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> Internet curmudgeons. But we so something they talk about. So uh, I've told Chris about the brain cell subreddit, which I think is like one of the most fascinating pieces yes. of Internet culture ever conceived. Right. But something they talk about a lot is. Um, and I mean, guys talk about this in general is like there's not a place for men anymore. And. That's of dubious, right? Yeah, sure. Veracity. Right. That, <laughs> right, it's probably right. not true. Yeah. But the that Joel is going through this kind of emotion of I'm yeah. fulfilling the societal obligations and it still doesn't work. So what the fuck use am I? Yeah, right? that's a, that's a crushing emotion to go through that. I think a lot of like going back to uh, a lot of us feel that at some point in our lives. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, Joel is the is really uh he's the son of a very successful businessman mm -hmm. you know that um went out and did something on his own instead of taking what he perceived to be the easy way out and even in 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 spite of that he still has this feeling and it's because and i'm bringing it back to why i love this character so much i think that a very real very palpable imposterism is really at the core yeah. of his character you know yeah i didn't understand what you meant until i got to see all this stuff but it, it's it's easy to empathize with joel 
Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, very despite, much so. Despite how much of an asshole he's been, it's easy yeah. to see what drove him to be an asshole in the way it was. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make it out to be, you know, like I'm trying to, you know, over sympathize with, you know, mm-hmm. this this character that, you know, I that, that you know, I've got a fucking axe to grind. It's just that, you know, I think that is is two cis white males <laughs> in 2021. The types of anxiety that this character goes through are very real and palpable to us because they're well, so familiar, you know? Yeah, but like just because a villain has relatability doesn't mean that you condone their actions too yeah yeah right? no no like yeah it's it's why people like uh, this is so reductive but it's the one <laughs> everyone's gonna get uh thanos marvel yeah. the new marvel mm-hmm. thanos right yeah everybody loves him because he's understandable it doesn't mean you agree that half the universe needs to be wiped out it's just okay i can see where he's coming from this is more compelling than just mustache twirling evil right? i too see? am a person with conviction yeah exactly same with Joel. I can understand. I could see a universe. This this is this will wrap up the we understand where Joel is coming from now. Yes. The Joel Joel has gone from an object of scorn to pitiable, right? The it, it's the thing of I can see a universe where given the same set of input, I would have had the same output as Joel. Yes. Right. I can see myself as him in some way. So yeah. And we get another dimension to that into the following season and the episode that I really wanted to highlight from season two here, which is the own, the sole episode from season two is season two, episode four called we're going to the Catskills. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I wanted to show you this episode mainly because I thought it was a really good example of like them stepping out of the urban environment and coming into yeah. a, a different type of setting for the mid century. Um, you know, Jewish, vacation camp resorts like this were very, very common in the Catskills. In fact, um, maybe because my phone listens to me all the time. Um, my, uh, my wife got a, uh, push notification on her Facebook algorithm for this, uh, expose article about the last Jewish resort in the Catskills that she sent me. Um, so it's kind of funny that like, you know, I had never heard of this before until I saw the show. And now all of a sudden it's like, you know, what do you mean you didn't know about this kind of thing? <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Uh, so, yeah, but um, we also hit a interesting part with Joel, too, where we see him start to uh, really get used to the role of supportive ex-husband here. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's cool, too, because like in this specific vertical slice, there's this. <sighs> I don't want to call it a hard contrast, but there's this there's this real paradigm shift, right? Of like, okay, this dude bounces back like that. That type of thing ends in one of two ways. Either he spirals further or he gets his shit together. Right. You know what I mean? So. It's also interesting that in a lot of media, there's this never ending drama and plot development of the will they won't they. Yeah. Right. And this is the closing of the will they won't they. Mm -hmm. Right. We're we're past this now. Yes. Now it's all about coping with reality. Right. Yep. It's excuse me. It's not that every episode there's going to be that 
slow longing stare across the room right of oh she still has feelings for him or unchained melody plays in the background exactly (laughs) exactly so this was really interesting to see too because it's not just a setting change that's visually impressive they've come to this hyper concentrated microcosm of interfamily drama and gossip and it's like they've gone from new york city where they have their social circle but 99 percent of the millions of people on the street don't give a shit to everybody is up in everybody's business they've gone to the small town basically right yes so this creates some interesting drama here too but i really i really like this episode yeah that's where it's it's a really good call out like that that wasn't something that was immediately dawning on me is like how like that change of like you know we're coming from the anonymity of the city into a place where we're not going to be able to escape people that know us you know yeah because i mean we'll i'll touch upon some of these now but when we review the episode we'll talk about more but it's like the thing of Nobody is stopping Midge on the street of New York and saying, you can't call yourself Mrs. Maisel, you know, because first of all, that's fucking weird. Second of all, nobody knows you. Right. She gets there and she's immediately confronted by, yeah, we don't really want you in the bikini contest this year because it's a little weird. You have to admit because you broke up with your husband. So you're not really a Mrs. So but you can be the sash girl. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. And it's. Yeah. It's like, you know, the odd it's this is one of those. Yeah, that's the, one of those the moments. The audacity too. is the word you, you yeah. were right on there. Go ahead. Yeah, the audacity is is really like what's so interesting about watching this as as the viewer is just like, you know, again, you know, uh, it gives you the vapors, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Because you're just like, holy sh- I would never talk to a woman this way yeah. if I knew her. If I didn't know her, I would never suggest that she wasn't beautiful enough to wear a bikini. I'm how dare he? And then you're just yeah. like, you know, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 like um, how do you how do I put this? I don't I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me, right, my family gatherings coming from uh, an Italian-American family, right? Like we have like dozens of people at every family gathering yeah and it's like a non-stop gossip fest right Right. and my dad and i always kind of relate afterwards of like what the like what the hell is wrong with these people yeah (laughs) right my my dad and i like i i can get into it because i'm i like i i'm half my half one foot in that family and one hat one foot in the other but it's like you can't escape just so much petty bullshit where it's like you you always convince yourself and i'm sure midge does the same thing when she's going up there i'm just not gonna engage aunt i'm gonna co- aunt barb will say right yeah aunt barb i know she's gonna want to talk about this shit she heard my mom say that i don't want to talk about i'm just not gonna engage but it never matters because aunt barb is gonna talk about it to somebody and it's either going to be you or it's going to be behind your back, but in earshot so that you can hear that she's talking about you. Right. Yep. It's these people are so bound and determined to be petty that like they they force it through sheer like physical brutality. Right? Yeah. And it's it's immediate 
and it's thick and they, yeah. they I mean, they lay it on. I'm And even down into like these really small moments of, you know, like when they first get there, Joel is obviously not with them. He's lagging behind. And um, they have this really big sort of all the campers get together and they have this welcoming ceremony where they sing this really, you know, like kumbaya type, you know, song. Oh, yeah, that you know, was the, the that Steiner was song. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously nothing against people that, you know, went to these places and loved them and still love them. It's just, you know, this is something that I was not used to, that I was again shocked to understand that it really is based in reality. This isn't yeah. something that they did just for the show. So. Well, I, I told you too, it's a brief aside that like, this is basically what some cruises are, right? Yeah. So yeah. For, you did for say me, that. Yeah. For me, it was like, whoa, this is like, yeah, this yeah. is like I'd the, never been on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise. cruise. Yeah. Right. The carnival cruise lines. This yeah. is like dead ringer for the kind yeah. of stuff they pull. Right. And so like Joel gets there, like in the middle of the song that they're singing and immediately the second he sits down, like it shows, him and Midge like looking at people and there are people like look like turn around and looking at them and like whispering like, yeah. you know, little, little birdies chirping well, back to each other. Explain to me this, too, because uh, clearly I don't have some of the context. But so obviously they're going to the Catskills as a family with Joel. Joel is planned to attend. Right. Separately, yeah. but in attendance. And it's actually it seems like a happy kind of planning session. Like we have Abe showing some great character moments of he's made a scale model of the moving van to be able yeah. to accurately plan how much stuff they can fit inside right. inside of it. Right. Right. And they seem to be happily planning this. And there's not really a conversation beyond a couple quips of like, what's our game plan for when people say shit? Yeah. Right. Right. So is there is there some lead up to that? Because like you said, they they show up and it's like immediate after like people are staring while they're singing the song and it, it neither seemed like it was surprising to them, which would make sense. But it also didn't seem like they were like steeled and ready. You know what I mean? Because Joel has his moment. We'll talk about here in a second. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's one of those things where, you know, again, like I, I made reference to this uh, when we talked about that um, moment in one of the earlier episodes of like, you know, there's always this feeling of they they're taking everything in stride. Right. Like, yeah. and it's not, it's not something that, like you said, they're not necessarily prepared for it, but it's not necessarily taking catching them off guard. And I think it's just because, you know, that's how they handle this throughout the entirety of the show of just things are going to happen and we're going to take them in stride and, you know, we're going to react to them as they happen. And obviously, you know, this is a comedy show, so they're not going to be in the business of sinking too heavily into some of those negative themes and emotions. But, um, you know, I think it's just in sort of in line with that theme of like, you know, shit, shit's going to happen and we're going to have to be ready for it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic too, because this is the first time that, Joel, to this point, like we've said, he has internalized that there is an issue. Yeah. It doesn't seem that he had fully internalized what the issue was and who was to blame. Joel notices that people are staring at Mitch, right? Yeah. In the course of singing this very cringy song. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of yeah. just storms the mic. And basically says, hey, just so you know, right? Yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's civil. 
you don't need to be gossiping about us. Yes, you over there. Right. Uh I see you. Right. Yeah. You can take it up with me, basically. Right. And this is the first time where he's like. Back off. Yeah, he's like and and I think what's what's interesting here is like he sort of uh, what I love about the scene for him is that he's sort of like jumping, making sure that he is still maintaining some semblance of control over this narrative. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, he realizes that. People are going to talk, but the difference between how he and Midge handle that is. We see him like we were just talking about. Take on this alpha male role of like, I've got to protect Midge. People are talking about her. He even says to I can't remember the character's name, the guy that's like running the resort he's like and shame on you mr so-and-so for for not letting her into the pageant she's an eight years running champion and she donates her her winnings to to charity every yeah, year to, so there are well, a lot of yeah uh he he gets in actually a funny quip of like yeah uh she donates it to orphanages so a bunch of orphans are going to starve because yeah. of you or whatever he says <laughs> yeah, right right yeah exactly and like this is one of those moments that goes to really endear him to to the viewer, right? Where it's just right. like, you know, oh man. So like, it's this, you know, I don't care what people are going to say about me as long as I get up there and protect Midge, you know? Yeah. It's this moment of like, um, he's proverbially throwing himself in front of the bullets. Yeah. It, it's whether or not it's, effective or the right thing to do or whatever it seems to come from a genuine place and i think it also reassures midge again whether or not it's effective or whatever is kind of irrelevant but it's like okay he's here and invested and i'm glad he's here for the kids and all these other reasons but also just that i'm not alone on this sea of people gossiping right yeah Exactly. And um, it, this also really serves as an, a pivotal moment for his arc in that um, he has a, a really the way that this episode closes out is really interesting because over the course of the episode, we actually see Midge go on what is like a forced match made date. Oh, yeah. With a new That's, man uh, named I- Benjamin. I really like their interaction. So I don't know anything about Benjamin and if he recurs or not. Yeah. It's set up definitely to make you think he's going to come back. So we I, don't, will, I don't we will have to come back to this at some point um because the Benjamin the Benjamin uh happenings are are very very interesting. But uh but this is a this is a really good sort of glimpse and or rather a transition into um like another sort of dynamic between uh midge and joel where it's you know there's potentially another man in the picture yes well it's interesting too because not that joel necessarily knows this joel doesn't have the information but the audience like they have chemistry this is the only man that i've seen at least that can keep up with midge in fact he's ahead of midge right he's far more irreverent than mm-hmm. midges yes he's far more devil may care than midges he's it's, he's the guy that gets in the boat and says i'm not gonna row yeah. well, what do you mean you're not gonna row well you're the one that said to get into the boat right right he, he doesn't miss a beat where joel might miss a beat he's not deferent at all so 
you get this chemistry of like, man, they're like they're two peas in a pod, aren't they? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And Joel doesn't necessarily know this, but he does know that th- this is a reassurance of the idea that, hey, Midge is available and you might not be comfortable with that, but tough shit. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, so, it drives him to some interesting things, too. I think we're I think you're about to start bringing us to the picnic scene. Well, not the picnic, but. Well, yeah, you know, there's there's these there's the fireworks that happen. Right. And, um, you know, Joel gets this glimpse. He's walking sort of far away from where Midge and, and Abe and Rose are sat and they're sat on this blanket. And Abe is like drunk as a skunk and Midge and Rose are carrying on laughing, having a good time. And he you really see him viewing the, the his family without him. Right. Yeah. And uh, he goes up onto a porch to get away from everybody that are sitting on the blankets and get some headspace. And he uh, he goes to pull out a cigarette and Benjamin walks up and stands yeah. next to him and they share a cigarette and they have a conversation. And again, to your point, at this point, Joel is not aware of who Benjamin is to Midge. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't even think they make it. Oh, uh, like they, they, I don't even think they know each other at this point no. or the show doesn't even really like communicate that they would know who each other are at this point. Because again, you know, this is the type of resort where everybody knows everybody. Right. Yeah. So, um, and you find out that Benjamin in this episode, he's, he's a surgeon, right? He's a doctor. Um, you find out because the way that Midge gets sets up with him is, Rose is at the hair salon and she hears Benjamin's mother lamenting about how he can't find a woman. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of like kind of jiggery pokery that you have to do for yourself. Cause like, Oh, you're in this place of like, everybody knows everybody, but somehow you've never met Benjamin before. Like med school doesn't last 23 years. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of kind of fill in the blanks that you have to do for yourself, but it serves the purpose of they get together and that's sort of how they meet. So, um, and like you said, they go on this boat. So Joel and Benjamin having this conversation at the end of the episode is really interesting because this is sort of where Joel um, lays out the stakes of his character for you, right? Like he really shows you this is the arc that I'm on. Yeah. Well, it's also so apt because so basically they have a conversation about forgiveness and basically moving on. Right. And it's also just so fitting that he needs someone to work it out with. Yep. Right. Joel doesn't just come up with this shit on his own. Right. Someone explains it to him and he gets it. Yep. Right. That's I think that's super fitting, too. But yeah, I yeah. mean, they're good. Oh, I was just going to say it's a really interesting moment because of that line where he asked Benjamin, he says, you think we're ever really forgiven for this for the mistakes we've made? Right. Yeah. And this is really sort of the first time that um, he really like comes out and sort of says this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there there are some times like, you know, earlier on where he kind of alludes to like his thing is that he's sorry. And like even in this, even in that scene where in the season one finale, wherever they hook up again, he has that moment where he's very penitent, you know, but this is the first time where it's like. He's sort of admitting it to himself, right? Yeah. And he's coming to this conclusion for himself. Well, it's it's also, I think, interesting that he hears some of the other things they say about like, so Benjamin tells him functionally, like, 
oh, who cares if you're forgiven? Because nothing goes back to the way it was just because you were forgiven. Right. right. So that starts some gears in his head, too. Like, I don't know if he's presented anything else to this point, but like this episode keeps hammering home. You need to move on. Even if she forgives you, none of that shit matters. And yeah. dwelling on it is not going to improve the situation. Right? That's right. Right. So that's that's a that's a good plot. That's a good plot point to see, too, is. Joel is continually along this vertical slice being given life lessons and having to react to them. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time where it's been like it's not something like you're OK, your life is a lie. Right. Like yeah. season one is him saying my life is a lie. Right. Uh, or rather, season one, episode one is him saying my life is a lie. Season one, episode eight is saying, yeah, your life is a lie. But you had the wrong idea of what lie it was. Yeah, right. This is. OK, my life is probably no longer a lie, but I have no idea what I should be doing. And everybody else telling him. It's like, good, get over it, find something right. Yeah, like that place is no longer there for you. Right. And you seem to understand that, but you're stalling. Right. And he and, and and it's the show frames him realizing that a couple times throughout yeah. this episode. And the last time is when he's, you know, sort of looking at them on the blanket, just being happy without him. Yeah. Um, and this the, I, I, I really like this as sort of like the capstone to his arc, because there are things that happen after this episode that take him to a new place as a character. And I I was I went back and forth so many times on whether or not I should include hands in this arc, but I'm glad that I did because because I think that there's a there's a really important context um, that sort of unearths itself here in this episode. And so we jump forward uh, quite a bit to season three, episode four. With an episode titled Hands, where Midge is on tour in Vegas. Um, obviously, you know, like we said in, in part one of this of this series about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, this is a show about her career. Obviously, it is going to advance. Otherwise, why would there be a show? So right. she she is in Vegas on tour. Things seem to be going pretty well for her and Susie. And uh, we see Joel at this point is in a different spot and he's attempting to open a club and eventually Midge convinces him to visit Vegas where some things sort of happen and we get to see Joel in a new light. So before we get into that, what did you think about this episode as an epilogue? I'm glad you included it because I had a completely different view of Joel from the end of let's uh, we're going to the Catskills and hands because We're going to the Catskills' acceptance, but uh, Hands is life after death. Yes. If that makes sense. Right. Yes. Uh, if if you had ended it on welcome or we're going to the Catskills, rather, um, what what Joel is at that point is I don't, calling him a man without direction is not fair, but it's it's not the end of an arc so much as it is the beginning of a new one. Yeah, right. Sure. Right. It's, mm-hmm. He's not like he's feeling emotions, but I, I, the episode isn't dwelling on like 
it's no longer about how do I get Midge back or any of these things. It's just this kind of ennui of it's it's almost jealousy, right, of seeing other people content in their situation and him having nothing to show for it. Right. I think that's the contrast. That's at least what I took away from it. Right. Right. So moving on to hands and seeing that he has his own things and it's changed how he views the same situations that we see him in from seasons prior that really caps it off. Right. Because it's 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 revisiting at least one critical part. Right. Where he would have jumped for joy and technically this did happen, but he would have jumped for joy at the result of something that happens in this episode in season one. Yeah. And now he has a very different reaction. Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that you took to this episode for that reason, because, you know, I think it does cross into that possibility of, you know, is this potentially too spoilery for what is really the main storyline for the first two seasons? But you know, there's a lot of growth to these characters that, again, I will use the the terminology. It's very, very tight. Right. And yeah. it's it's contained to the point where they almost like a sitcom cast like Seinfeld. They go through individual storylines, but they never really separate from each other. Right. So there are there are aspects to these storylines that are still really interesting to go back and see. And I think this is a moment that sort of makes doing that a little bit more enticing. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, well, it's, it's good to know too. Like I, I don't think that spoilers are inherently bad because I think about a lot of things like obviously it depends on the media. If you spoil the end of a whodunit, there's probably not a reason to go and watch it again. Actually, right. you know what? My dad and I, we saw an ad for Shutter Island because we were browsing movies to watch on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And we had this conversation. It's like 10 second conversation. Man, that was a good movie. We talked about it. And my dad just closed it off by saying, it's a shame we know what happens, though, because I don't really want to see it again. Yeah. Right. Right. So there are there are contexts where spoilers yeah. are important. Yeah. Right? right. But I think for a lot of things, especially in the context of shilling, mm -hmm. uh, in the context of trying to explain things to people, showing them these highlights are the things to get them in. And there's it doesn't stop those things from being compelling when you get to them again. Yeah. Right. So. In this specific instance, right, I now know that Joel is going to have sex with and get married to again. Yes. Midge Maisel <laughs> uh -huh. on a one night stand in Vegas. Uh -huh. And I know that this is going to be a problem for Joel because he really has given up on Midge at this point in the traditional sense. And he's kind of got a thing going on back in New York. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. This doesn't change. The fact of the interest of getting to that context and it doesn't change the arc that he's going to go on. Right. Seeing the conclusion, seeing this recontextualizes a lot of stuff. Yeah. But 
it doesn't change that Joel in season one is not Joel in season three and has to be held culpable for the actions he takes in season one. And this is what so, I mean when I talk about these characters having valuable growth. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that it is it's easy to storytelling really from a brass tax perspective is pretty brain off. Right. As long yeah. as you do things that make chronological sense and connect to each other in a way that um, isn't confusing and respects um, the events that happened before it, you can write a good enough story. This is why when people say things in defense of objectively terrible things like, well, it makes sense that that would happen in universe. You can make anything make sense if you write it correctly. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, for this, I think that, it's not that the growth that they go through makes sense for how they begin as characters. It is that the growth that happens to these characters and Joel specifically is of such contextual value that you see him in a lot of the same places several times, but it feels like a different Joel each time you arrive there. And this is one of those moments. Well, it's, it's just as simple as like, okay. Character, right? Yeah. I can't think of a good example of this. You know what? I'm going to, I'll do it. Anakin in the prequel trilogy, right? Yeah. Anakin is a character that wears his character growth. I don't mean that as a compliment. Right. I mean that Anakin, the difference between Anakin in episode two and episode three is eyeshadow. Yes. Right. Right. Like he is evil in or whatever you want to call him in episode three because he has a conversation with the with basically Palpatine. Right. And realizes that he wants something really bad and he's going to have to do bad things to do it. Right. Yeah. This is not a look back upon Anakin in any type of context where you can see like, oh, well, he oh, he killed the Tuscan Raiders because they kidnapped his (laughs) mom. Oh, it's like, right. okay, but like, how does this like other than the meta textual, like you have to know what a Jedi is, right? that they're pacifist they're not pacifist either it's the doing this with the prequels is stupid but that they're basically pacifist monks <laughs> well, so the it's weird that he would kill things yes but it, he, he that he would kill things is weird it's not that you're seeing anakin reacting to the same situation or a similar situation differently he's just anakin with eyeshadow and he's evil now right right yeah he does things that are he murders children it's linear murdering children is about as high on the evil scale as you can go right yeah 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 it's Joel, just this yeah no go ahead i was go just to say it's just this very linear path that just ramps you know yeah. what i mean and that that i think is a very meme way of saying well this character has development because he starts out as an innocent kid and he ends up as a child murdering sycophant you know what yeah. i mean that's not really character development so much as it's like you know like a chronological depiction of a villain coming to his villainous power you know like yeah. Character development is 
to me, when it, when it gets to that valuable point, like that, to that valuable context where you can really sink your teeth into it is, uh, about showing these things, um, like here is how this character after going through these life circumstances reacts to the same situation differently after they've learned and grown and so on and so forth. Anakin doesn't have a moment where like, if you think about, the foreknowledge of Padme's death is cancer or something, right? Like he right. doesn't have the coming to terms with the mortality of his wife. And he reacts differently to a situation where he would normally have mercy and he doesn't. It's the, it becomes a question literally of would you kill children to save your wife? Yeah. Right. right Which is right. like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And he contrasts that with this, right? It's like, okay. Joel got what he always wanted, but it, Joel is different now and he doesn't really want that anymore. That's right. And after, you know, we see it, we see a, a really cool little moment of. And, and this is. This show, when we talk about it, when I talk about it, there being a lot to chew on. This is an, yeah. an episode that I think really is. It shows that is. When Joel gets to Vegas, the first thing that he does is he sits front row at Midge's set. Yep. And like they even have this moment right when he gets there of like, you know, she's like, you know, you're coming to see me. And he's like, you're not going to talk about me. Right. And she's like, nope, you know, this is my Vegas set. It's all, you know, like sort of, you know, it's different than what you're used to. Right. And the first thing that she does, she gets up there and she calls him out. And this is like, you know, you made you made a comment about this earlier, but I, and I think this is what you were referring to, but this is like really where you get like, he is her muse. Yeah. And he always will be. Right? <laughs> exactly. Cause to the, to the point, right. She's in Vegas. She's doing it. It's still stuff about Joel. Right. Yep. Cause that's, that's the pivotal moment of her life. Right. That's the, this is, this is the, my wife humor, right? Like yep. boomer humor. It's you like ruined my life is not the word, right? But like you did this thing that changed everything. So everything I can now conceivably talk about and put into my act is a part of this. Yep. Right. I got arrested. I, uh, I, all the stuff I had to do to make you happy, all this kind of stuff, right? Will always inform it. And she even said, she makes it a joke, right? Of like, I told him I wouldn't talk about him, which tells you he can't read a bluff, right? And he goes right in, she goes right into her act. Yep. So Joel is her muse. But where you're going with this is like, he's sitting in the front row and he's laughing, right? He's come to terms with it. Yeah. He's not pouting in the corner. Yeah. And, and, and so they have this moment and, you know, you really get a view of Joel that, uh, it feels new, right? New Joel. Right. And, um, and they go, they have this great night where like, again, it's not showing flashback footage, but it is obviously calling back to this time in their lives where they were thick as thieves, right? They weren't just husband and wife, mother and father, you know, Mm -hmm. they were close. They were best friends. You know, they have this night in Vegas that feels like you're watching 10 years ago, Joel and Joel and Mitch, right. Or whatever it is, you know, and, uh, they wake up the next morning 
And the entire reason that I wanted to bring this episode in as part of this shill is they wake up the next morning to find that they got married the night before because they're yeah. in Vegas, because obviously. And the yeah, the Vegas cliche, the Vegas cliche. And again, this is this is another one of those examples where the show the show is contrived, right? And it's not perfect. And when it wants to get something done, it gets it done somehow, right? Yeah. This is just, you know, this is just one of those moments. But in terms of the way that it impacts Joel and his character, I think this is so, so great because this is one of those moments where the show really sort of coalesces again, where everything just lines up perfectly and the stars align. Because this is one of those moments where they frame the shot and he's standing in front of this like wall piece and the wall piece is giving his profile this very like religious, pious looking like aura above his head. And I love that moment because it's just very much like uh, you ever really think we're forgiven for the mistakes we've made? Like, yes, you absolutely positively are forgiven, but just like you were told before nothing's really ever the same yeah well it's i think it's also interesting too like if you want to read into the subtext of the thing like the fact that they got drunk and got married says something itself too like it is a cliche but the cliche can have something interesting said about it where it's like okay well two people got married but it's uh haha funny like it's the people that don't want to get married anymore they've just gotten over their divorce But a step further, no matter where they're going in their lives, they're clearly comfortable with each other so much so that when they got drunk, they thought it was a good idea. You know what I mean? So nothing's ever the same, but some things never change. Right. So it's a it's a new cross to bear. Go ahead. Yes. And, and, you know, this is a. And I know we're focusing a lot on Joel here, but this is another moment for Midge as well, because, you know, there are throughout this this series at this point, there are several times wherever whenever she reminds Joel that, hey, you left me like, let's not forget about this. You left me. So anything that you could be upset about that I've done with my life since you left me, you left me. Right. You left me Mm -hmm. here. And so what's really so interesting to me about this moment is. Midge has been on the road. At the beginning of the episode, she's, you know, um, you know, talking to Joel and, you know, she very clearly misses having somebody. Right. They make that Mm -hmm. very, very clear at the beginning of the episode. She just misses having somebody. And you know so they wake up the next morning and they find out that they're married right and she is just like she's cool with it right yeah because she's in this moment of you know joel joel says like her and benjamin aren't together anymore you know she doesn't have anybody beginning of the episode she is obviously pining for somebody to be there with her while she's on the road and while she doesn't have anybody there with her and joel comes and everything's cool and she's very excited about it and it's just this like like you said, you would expect Joel to be jumping for joy. And I think what we see here is, you know, this moment where he's achieved this forgiveness. But it's really not the way he would have ever ha- have dreamed it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, he's achieved this forgiveness in spite of this, you know, sort of new love that he's found back home. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, because if forgiveness is an actual return to normalcy in despite of uh, um, what Benjamin said to him, right? Yeah. It's still that nugget of truth of it's not the same because it's not the same because he doesn't want it anymore. Right. Right. Yep. So the picket fence is gone. That's right. And, you know, I I really love this episode for that reason. I'm glad that you took to it. And um, yeah, I thought it was just a really good capstone to like, this is really why I loved the character of Joel and why I thought his, his sort of journey specifically was really interesting because it is this this example for me of you know when a story successfully subverts your expectations and you know how that can be done effectively with under text rather than as you stated in your example with Anakin Skywalker rather than wearing it yeah because I mean like the closest he ever comes to wearing it is his bender on uh, season one, episode eight, at least in far of what I've seen. Yeah. Right. Uh, him, him having the bender and being a little disheveled. And that's not even really the focus of what's happening there. Right. No. Right. So, I, I mean, I give the show a lot of credit just for what it does with Joel in terms of daring to be different. Not that this has never been done before, but like daring to go against the kind of convention because it could have been it would have been very easy for him to be kind of a punching bag and kind of the either the butt of the joke because it's a comedy show or like a source of continuing drama where he walked out the door and he never came back and like they have a struggle for the kids and like he there's an episode where he's parading around penny pan and midge makes part of her set about penny pan all this kind of stuff right and it's so much more i don't want to call it realistic i don't have any basics for saying that but it's it's so much more interesting at least for me to have this never-ending sort of awkwardness right of we have to make something work but it's just painful right yeah i think that is what really hooked me about this show so much is that um we we sort of talked about this when we talked about the next generation too but there's there's it it's never going to get old to consume material that is relatable on a deeply personal level right and the reality is with so much of modern content being steeped in this misery index that like in order to be provocative we have to tell something so fucking miserable and we have to bring you down to this you know the road level of depression to get you to understand this salient point that we want to make about violence or you know divorce and yeah. you know single mothers or single fathers right yeah um i think that it it's so much more satisfying to walk away from a dynamic like Joel and Midge that you understand because the reality of life is marriage is hard yeah relationships are hard 
um, people have expectations of you. And just because entertainment like this can often be an escape doesn't mean we have to, you know, sort of neglect how real these dilemmas are for people. You might not be a wealthy family on the Upper West Side of New York in 1958, but you've surely felt what it's like to pale under or or rather like in the shadow of somebody else and how and and you can certainly relate to how much that how much it must kill joel to feel so negatively about that and how confusing that can be well i can't i can't remember if i said this in episode one or if i said it while we were talking during our watch party but it's it's just these things too of like i understand this is subjective and personal but it's so much more relatable for me to look at the way that season one happens with Joel and this kind of emotion I've been in before where it's like I'm wounded and I'm lashing out and I'm pushing you away, but I don't really want to push you away. But oh, crap, it's too late and I need to apologize. But I have my pride and I'm not going to apologize. And please don't walk away. And you're walking away and shit. And I've done this to myself. Right. Like that's a more complicated emotion. It may not be as realistic. I mean, I'm sure it depends on the divorce. That may not be as realistic as fuck you. I hate you. I'm taking the kids. I'm taking everything you own. Whatever. Right. 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 But it's more complex and it's more relatable for me. So, well, you know, I, I think that human beings to give people in general credit, probably a little bit more credit than we deserve as human beings. <laughs> but, you know, it, there's, there's, there's something to, you know, like I'll, I'll, this is going to be qu- quite a reach, but you know, you hear about, um, you know, when you go to the military and obviously I am, not a veteran. I've never been to the military. I've got a lot of people close to me that were. Uh, they desensitize you from empathy because they have to. Because when you're infantry and you're going to combat and you're going to fight, you can't suddenly feel bad about the people that are trying to right. take your life, right? Um, I think this is, you know, sort of similar in that um, we become so sort of desensitized, I think, to the way that it it is to be humans. You know what I mean? That I think I think that people in general care. And even yeah. though they might make somebody feel poorly, and even though they might inflict pain, whether it's emotional or physical, onto somebody, I think that people just have this natural desire to take care of the other. Right. And so I think this kind of stuff touches on that. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's so relatable is because it doesn't assume that its characters are just at its core, terrible people at the end of the day. Yeah. And they're not, they're not plot devices. Like, so again, spoiler, I want you to read and I'll, I'll call back to this part of our conversation when you read it, but it's a manga, by the name of Oyasumi Punpun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good night, Poon Poon, which okay. is the character, the main character's name, but basically it's like a nickname. Yeah, right? I think it actually, I think it is his actual name, and it touches on a lot of this stuff 
right? Yeah. It touches on a lot of these specific kinds of emotions. And what I think, I think it is so telling that the kind of stuff that gets the true across the aisle acclaim. So not when I say acclaim, I don't mean like Marvel movie acclaim where it gets a lot of audience satisfaction and critical reception and critical reception is poor. Yeah. And I don't mean like I'm not shitting on Moonlight. It's just the movie that popped into my head. It's yeah. not like Moonlight right. where critics adore it and everybody else says it's garbage. Right. Right. The types of things where there is universal agreement that there's something of substance there tends to be stuff that speaks to that core human experience. Yeah. Right. Right. Things that are profound because they're simple truths. Right. I think that those types of themes cut through so much more. And that's why this show really sticks out for the reasons that it does to me. And I think with that said, um, I think the question, the question that needs to be asked is, did I shill you on this show? Well, spoiler, because I was talking about shit that wasn't in the, uh, <laughs> the vertical slice. But yeah, you did. I've been watching it. So Excellent. Excellent. I, I managed I managed to watch two episodes yeah. um, uh, so far because I've been kind of wall to wall uh, yeah. since we did our viewing party. But yeah, I watched uh, the two connected two. Yeah, I watched the two connecting episodes between episode one and four. Mm -hmm. So I now understand the context for the moving scene, uh -huh. which was interesting in itself. Yes. Uh, some some character development development on Moish that I definitely did not expect. Uh, some development on Abe that I did not expect. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far and I'm definitely going to see it through. I don't know when I'm going to like be wrapping it up, yeah. but it's in my list of things that like when I'm in the mood for it, I'm definitely going to queue it up and see where some of this stuff is headed. Yeah. Well, you know, as we've said before, and as we'll say a thousand more times, um, you know, we have plans to come back onto these things that we shill each other and sort of check in and talk about our experience with them further down the line. So I'm sure this will be one of them. And, you know, unlike, you know, things like the next generation, um, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is not done. They are currently filming a season four. So we will have a season four with us. So, um, you know, this show, for all intents and purposes, though I don't expect it to, could end up taking a huge fucking nosedive. So, oh, yeah. so the possibility exists. I mean, you know, it's it's not something that we expect to be perfect, but, you know, um, it has been very, very good for me thus far. And I'm glad that you are uh, enjoying it as well. So. <laughs> You say that as if I'm not a fan of things that haven't horribly crashed and burned before. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. That's never happened. That's never happened within our friendship. Never. It's never, never happened. No, we don't. Yeah. We don't have a shared Spotify playlist yeah, yeah. called The Last Jedi is Good. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was never a long winded multi hour conversation about how soul crushing a certain season of a certain <laughs> fantasy television show of the decade was. But mm, yes. And who who better than Joel yeah. the Jebated? Yeah. Who has a better story than Joel? Honestly, that's right. Who does? Joel the Jebated is actually pretty apt. Joel the Jebated is kind of apt. 
I am so glad that you liked the show. I am really excited to see what you think about the rest of it. I hope that those of you that followed along with our watch party uh, got something out of it. I hope those of you that are uh, fans and veteran fans of the show got something out of it. Um, I really love this show. I'm so glad that you like it. Um, but that was uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, Scott, I think that we have another shill coming up, but we don't know what that is yet. Can you give me yeah. a little bit of a taste maybe? Uh, so no spoiler on the specific episode. I actually have several of them planned out, but we're now entering the get Chris into anime arc. <laughs> and here's here's the spoiler. Okay. The first episode of this isn't an anime oh. or a manga. <laughs> I'm okay. going to get you into it, but it doesn't start on the train. All right. So, well, we'll we yeah. wait on bated breath. Yes. Well, don't forget to check us out at www.themanyfolds.com and at all of our socials at The Many Folds. Uh, this has been The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. My name is Chris. I'm Scott. We'll catch you next time. King of the Shield.